So uh, we're continuing in our series, When uh, the Spirit uh, Comes, and it's been a great series uh, rooted in the book of Acts, and we have looked at when the Holy Spirit comes as believers, we're empowered to witness, uh, we looked at the important uh, teaching and theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I spoke on when the Holy Spirit comes, the, the, I, I, I contested, argued that the sign is the gospel is preached and people get saved and baptized in water. Then Phil spoke on that once people are saved, then we're, we're connected to God, but then we're connected to one another. We want to build genuine community. And then Hillary last week was brilliant on when the Holy Spirit comes, there is healing. There are signs of God's presence amongst his people. Now we've come to the uh, subject of prayer. And even just a surface overview of the book of Acts, you will see that prayer is just woven into the life of this community. It's not something that they have a prayer meeting. It's just, as we'll see, it's just happening all the time. It's, it's woven into uh, uh, their lifestyles and their community life. So the passage we have is, well, it's just a classic passage. So it's great to preach from it. It's Acts 4. The believer's prayer. So you know the kind of context is uh, Peter and John have been before the Sanhedrin. They're in trouble. They're released. They're under threat. They're under persecution. And they come back and they gather with other believers. And let's pick it up in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that the chief priests and, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against the holy, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. I just love that phrase, that just their awareness of the sovereignty of God, that God had always a plan, a rescue mission uh, displayed in uh, Jesus and the verse 29 now Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus and after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly famous uh, passage uh, of prayer, one of the models of prayer that is recorded in the New Testament. And I want us for a moment is to try and catch the atmosphere, the kind of, the feel, the culture of this new community that have realized that Jesus is the Messiah, he's crucified and risen from the dead. And we've looked at the kind of characteristics of that community, and one of them is prayer. They're a praying community. In fact, Acts 2, which is another famous summary verse, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And behind the sort of phrase devotion, it's a pretty intense word. It means they're committed. So the, the, these new believers were committed to prayer. 
They were enthusiastic or even they, they were addicted. So that's another one of the roots is kind of like intense or loyalty or zealous or even fanatical. That's what devoted means. They were, there was a high level of commitment to being a praying people. You can kind of sense it, can't you? The intensity of prayer. In fact, even the healing that got uh, Peter and John in trouble before the Sanhedrin, before they came back and prayed together in Acts 4, the whole context is prayer. It says in Acts 3 and 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Uh, The first Christians were Jewish. They were Jewish Christians. Uh, And... uh, what they did was they integrated their kind of rhythm of life out of their uh, Jewish roots. And so if you were a committed Jew, you would go to pray. You would pray at 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and at sunset. And so they're going probably this is their second visit of the day to pray. And so we can learn from this that leaders pray. Uh, I was glad, it was just the way it fell this week, that the elders gathered at 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning and we gather to pray for the church. And then every week at 9 o'clock, the, the staff, all the staff that King's has, some 25 plus staff, we start our week. The pastors have Monday off. Uh, the operational team are in the office all week, Monday to Friday. And uh, we, but on Tuesday morning at 9, we gather, we catch up and we pray. And we pray for the church and we pray for you and pray for also other things that's uh, before us. So leaders pray. We can learn that from Acts 3. And then we get to Acts uh, 4. Let me just read a couple of verses from it again. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, it's interesting. This phrase, raise their voices together in prayer, is one that we will use from time to time in the church. Here. We say, why don't we all lift our voices together? And then there's a little murmuring. It says, they raise their voices. And I, uh, this is a, a New Testament model of prayer. Um, and I like this model. I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church. When I got saved at 19, I remember going to a prayer day on a Saturday in the church. I turned up and there were like 20 chairs in uh, the hall, but they were all on their own. And we had an hour and so there's a chair, there's a chair, there's a chair, and there's a little gap, and there's another chair and chair. So it's not like together. They were all separate. And we had to sit there in quiet for an hour. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know about you. I, I was dying. I was dying. Is this, is this what prayer is? So I like the kind of corporate exhortation. Let's pray. Now, I, I sometimes wonder that, the reason that we don't go for it so much, there's a whole range of reasons. One is that sometimes you think, I don't know what to say. So what I do, is, for what it's worth, is I repeat myself quite a lot. Lord, I ask you just to bless the church and really help us continue to reach people for Jesus. And bless the church, Lord, and keep reaching people and come by your power that we preach the gospel. And, keep... and then, then I start praying in tongues. And then I go around. And then I, if, you're, if, you, if you've ever been in a prayer meeting to me, I have to walk. I I can't stay still. So the fact of rooting me to one chair is like, and um, I wonder sometimes why um, the reason why we we, this kind of exhortation to raise our voices together. It's very contrary to 
even church history, which valued solitude, even right back to the kind of the kind of monastery. That if you're really spiritual, what you do is you withdraw, and you are quiet, and that is real spirituality. That's interesting, isn't it? Now I think there's some of you love doing that, and you're really good at it. I'm not. Please carry on withdrawing and praying. I'm not trying to teach not to do that. I'm just saying here what they did. They came together and they raised their voices together. And we also have here just one of the model prayers in the New Testament. The Lord's Prayer would be another. You know, our Father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And actually this prayer model is similar in its emphasis. And the key thing is it starts with God. Uh, I like this. I like that when it comes to prayer, you start with a view of who God is. Now, there are times appropriate when you just kind of start with yourself and you think, oh, Lord, I'm not feeling like praying today. And blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, God can cope with that. But here, both in the Lord's Prayer and in this prayer, they are very God-focused. That's why in the church here, we say to our worship teams, please start with songs which focus on God, not on us. Because otherwise we limit God to us and what we're believing, how much faith we've got today, rather than lifting our eyes uh, to, um, to God and the greatness of God. As a young Christian, I attended a number of vineyard conferences. The vineyard movement is a, a, a movement not dissimilar to the New Frontiers movement, the network of churches we're a part of. And it was uh, founded by a great leader called John Wimber. And I went to a conference on prayer. And, of course, he taught prayer in the context of the kingdom. That there's a kingdom. There is a, you know, the the Lord's Prayer. Thy thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that that really fits well into how we, uh, like Hillary, taught on healing. That there is a now and a not yet. And there's this tension. And we should be praying for more. uh, But we're always going to live in this tension. And he he taught that... um, conference on prayer and I, I got my book out. I think it's was, it was like 1986, it's 30 years old and I got it out and I saw this, I thought was a really good quote from John Wimber on Acts 4. Let me read it to you. With this in mind, let's see how they prayed in Acts 4. First, they reminded God of who he is. Second, they reminded God of what he had done. All right. So it's like, you are God. I'm just going to remind God who you are. You are God. And uh, what have you done? Well, you're the creator and you sent Jesus. Thirdly, they reminded God of what he had said. Fourthly, they reminded God of the things that had happened to Jesus while he was on earth. Lord, you sent your son and he died and he was risen again. And you've called us to proclaim the gospel. Fifthly, they reminded God of the threatenings they had received. So it's interesting, it's the fifth point that they get to what's happening, the pressure points, they're under persecution. It all starts with a God-focused perspective. Sixthly, they made their request. And seventh, there was an answer to their intercessory request. I think this is a great model. It's not the only model, but if you're praying, sometimes good to start with God before you start with a problem. You're kind of like, oh, I've got this problem, and it sort of weighs you down. But it gives you faith to make a big ask, and that's what they did. I think another aside we can learn from this passage in this model of prayer is, I don't know if you've been around churches for years, and I have now, 
And there was, particularly in the 80s and, 70s, uh, 80s and 90s, there was this kind of, I don't know if it's still around, but this kind of emphasis on praying against strongholds. And you'd hear things and teaching around and say, there's a stronghold over this geographical area. Does this connect with anyone? Is this, you have heard of this? Well, there was this. And we pray against the stronghold of the spirit power over this particular estate. Man, I don't see that in the Bible. In fact, what I see in the Bible is that what the believers do is they don't pray against things. They actually pray for the kingdom of, con, the kingdom of God to come and for them to be filled with power and boldness. So surely, if you, so I would expect that what you could read in a, a prayer like this is, we pray against the Sanhedrin, we pray against them. No, they don't pray against the Sanhedrin. They pray, God, won't your power come and fill us so that we can proclaim with boldness the message and stretch out your mighty hand and heal more people. It's a really important emphasis, I, I believe. So um, what we have here is a number of prayer models uh, alluded to the Lord's Prayer, then the Acts 4 prayer, another prayer model that might help you. I use this one quite a lot. And this is one is from a famous pastor called Yongi Cho that led a, a church in Seoul, South Korea. That, this church actually owned a prayer mountain. And it's a famous church. And uh, he taught that you could pray like this. It was like taking a pebble and throwing it into a pond and then as it ripples out, you pray. So I sometimes do pray like this. Though I've said it's great to start with God, sometimes I, I do that. And I start and I pray for myself. Lord, you know, help me. And then I pray for Deb. I say, Lord, thanks for Deb. She's just a, what a girl. And, and I pray for her and bless her through her day. And then, and then I come, I, I'm gradually ripping out. I come to my three boys. God, God move on these lads. Help me. No, actually, they're not bad, as you know, but, you know, God, move! You know, that really sort of cry of faith, desperation prayer. Um, move, and then and I might pray for the church, and I might pray for the, the, the network of churches or friends I have in different parts of the world. So you pray and you ripple out. Very often when we pray on Tuesday morning as a, a team, I will uh, quite naturally ensure that we don't just pray for ourselves or just pray for the church here. I will want to, for a moment, lift us beyond ourselves. And it's good to pray for yourself. It's good to say, God bless me. God wants to bless you. Okay. But it's also good not to make your prayers always just me-focused. Yeah, it, it, to reach out. And that's why I like that kind of ripple uh, uh, picture. So some really helpful things there in Acts 4. But if we carry on in Acts uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, prayer is sort of weaved into their rhythm and, and life. And I, I would like us to have more people at our corporate prayer meetings. When we say, come, come to the church, we're going to pray this evening. I would like that. But as much, I would like prayer to be just a natural thing that happens personally and whenever we're together. It's interesting in Acts 2, you see that it says of Cornelius, he prayed to God regularly. And then in Acts 10 and 9, Peter, it says, about noon following, uh, the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And it is in the context of prayer that he has prophetic revelation. You know the story of the sheet and the animals. And uh, 
It's interesting. If you go through the book of Acts, it's, you could see this in Acts 13 as well. It is at times of prayer that God speaks prophetically. And as I was dwelling on this over these last 24 hours or so, I thought, that is so true in my own life. So when I first came to lead this church, four weeks in, we were gathering in Ron Hopgood's house. We were uh, praying with some prophets, and they brought a prophetic word to us, which said, look in your history. And we found that this church was originally planted by C.H. Spurgeon's ministry and believed for a thousand people. And that was the prophetic word. And with a fulfillment of that prayer moment, which had a prophetic word in. Or uh, in April 2010, I'm with a group of leaders. They're, we're praying together. They're praying for me and us as a church. And they pray. And out of that becomes our kind of defining moments. Prophetic word to us about rooted in Mark 6. About let's believe for a church of 5,000. And then in June 2010, we actually get the big building at Lee. So it was in the context of prayer. In fact, the word I've shared with you about uh, Niagara Falls and Victoria Falls, that Kings is like Niagara Falls, but we're called to be like a mile long, very wide, big vision happened when someone was praying for me. I was in a, a hut in Zimbabwe somewhere speaking to about 40, 30, 40 young people. And at the end, the guy came up and said, let's just pray for Steve. And they prayed for me. And as they prayed, this guy brought this word, which really spoke to me, and I trust speaks to us. It is interesting, isn't it, that in the context of prayer that God very often speaks, and the prophetic comes and directs our lives, or our lives as a community, uh, together. Uh, how about this uh, example of prayer? I love this passage. This is Acts 12 and verse 5. So in this context... Herod is trying to kill Christians and the leaders again. So the church is under persecution. I do wonder sometimes the reason we don't pray as much as we think we should or ought is we are, our life is just, we are kind of, we've got resources and, uh, you know, but if you live in Africa and, uh, and a number of you got friends there or, you know, the Chinese, underground Chinese pastor, I know that the police track his phone. I mean, they pray more in that kind of, context because you can't solve the issue yourself it's beyond you uh here this is what's happening and this is a a fascinating passage so peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to god for him now if you know the story it's an amazing story i take quite a lot of comfort from this story the first thing is that they're praying for peter to be released and then peter is released and he turns up and they don't believe it's him yeah Oh no, come on, we're praying for God, the, the mighty God to release Peter, please. Peter knocks at the door, can't be Peter. I mean, we're praying for him to be released, but it can't be Peter. Okay? I've been in many prayer meetings like that where God answers a prayer. Oh, well, it wasn't God. It wasn't God. I mean, it's just a coincidence. Things like that. Um, and then this one, what about this one? They're praying for Peter. Peter's released. They don't believe he's released, but they're praying for him to be released. But at the same time, James is not released. He's killed by the sword, which is beheaded. So we pray, Peter's released. We don't think he's released, but he is released. Well, I'm sure the church was praying for James as well, and he's martyred. So answer prayer, which we don't believe is answer prayer, unanswer prayer. So there's always this strange kind of tension where God doesn't answer. 
And then when he does, we don't think he has. Ah, it's just, it's, 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 it's a bit of a mystery, actually, some of it. And that's where you have to lean into the sovereignty of God. Uh, Acts 13, a famous verse, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set, said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them to. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 14 and 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. So we can learn from this that at key leadership moments and appointments, they uh, prayed and fasted. How about this one? This, this is another verse. I find this verse really challenging. I hope you do. I, I, I hope you get my heart in when I'm saying that. But Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, folks, they're in prison. They're in prison. I don't know about you. If I was in prison, I don't know what I'll be doing. I kind of think I might be saying this to God. Oh, how did I get here? I mean, what have I done to deserve this? I might even go and say something like, this is not fair. It's not fair. But no, Paul and so what are they doing? They're praying and they're singing hymns. I find that deeply challenging. I, Lord, I'm actually really happy not to have this ever put to the test as well, what I would do. I really am not looking to be in prison. But sometimes life takes you a point where you do feel like you are trapped, you are in prison. You go, how did I get here? And it's not fair. How do you respond? What they, what we, from this community, this faith-filled community, what they do is they pray and they sing hymns. I find that deeply challenging. I, I really do. I, oh, Lord, help me. But so I think I tend to go, it's not fair, Lord. But what they do is they trust God in the moment of pressure or in prison or persecution. So I think we can take from this that... The New Testament church, they particularly prayed when they're under pressure and persecution. They prayed at key uh, leadership moments and they prayed for the... And as they did, there was an impartation of the Holy Spirit. Um, Now look, as I uh, uh, just land today, a couple of last points or finalists. Some application for us. It's a personal application when it comes to prayer. I want to just recommend a few resources that might help you. The first is, I haven't read this book, but I've heard a number of my friends have, and they've commended it to me, and I'm very happy to do it. I know Tim Keller, a brilliant writer and teacher and leader. Uh, His latest book on prayer is supposed to be uh, brilliant, so I'd like to recommend that to you. If this is an area that you would like to read into or grow in, that's a great book. Um, Deb, uh, my wife, uh, is using Tim and Kathy Keller's book, My Rock, My Refuge, a year of daily devotions in the Psalms. I love reading the Psalms. I very often would read a Psalm uh, when I pray. Uh, and this is just a, you know, a year's devotion. So that's a, a great resource. If, um, 
Uh, I've used this in the past, not using it at the moment, but the Bible in one year, the HTB, Nikki and uh, Pippa Gumbel, a resource where they take you through the Old Testament, New Testament, a comment on it, and then a short prayer online, free. You can get it on your phone, things like that. Great resource um, to help you pray. And then just one other uh, Resource. I found a chapter in Bill Heibel's book, Courageous Leadership, really helpful, called a chapter on pathways. What different pathways do you kind of connect with God? Because for some of you, when I say I struggle in the solitude thing and I want to be other people and moving, you're like, what's he talking about? I just love getting away, put the little worship tape on, get my coffee, get my Bible. Oh, lock me away. Please, no one interrupt me forever. I mean, after 10 minutes, I'm kind of like getting a bit edgy. In fact, I like to pray while I'm walking. So I go up to Foster Park and I walk round and I'm going round and I see a green woodpecker go across and, and, uh, and then I'm back to prayer. In fact, one of my pathways is creation. I actually find it when you're next to a mountain or by the seaside, is you just kind of get a view of God. You think you get a view of his bigness. That's difficult in, in our context, in an urban context. You know, there's a pavement, you know, which is just not as good as a mountain, is it? You know, but you try. I, I, I go, uh, um, I like to pray with other people. I like to walk, if I can, to be in the context of creation. The other thing I like to do is I put on uh, uh, worship tapes. And I like, I like corporate worship. And so I, I big it up. So I've got Hillsongs is there. I'm one of their sort of big... In fact, I'm probably leading worship in my mind as we're doing it, you know. And it's just... That, I just, that, that works. Um, that works uh, for me. The other one I related to in the Pathways was the activist who prays, help. Yeah, that's, that, that is very often... Uh, one of my prayers. It's, it's just like, it's not a very deep theological, it's just like, I'm on the edge, Lord. We're going again. Come on. Uh, and help. Yeah, it's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. And then lastly, uh, together. As uh, in our groups, fantastic to see a number of people stepping into groups. When we get together, why don't we always have Let's weave it into the moment. You don't have to pray for, uh, you can pray for a, a, a good long time, but it's simply, it could be at the beginning of the evening. We just, Lord, we, it's great to be together again. And uh, Lord, we just be with us through the evening and um, bless our time and Holy Spirit guide our, our steps. It can be something like that, but wherever we can uh, do that and uh, now, obviously, you pray a bit longer, a bit like my dad used to pray. We used to, my family used to always pray at Sunday lunch. And tip up, we'd hold hands, we still do, Sunday lunch, we always pray at Sunday lunch. And hold hands. And my dad would always pray out of the sermon in the morning. And so we'd be, food would be there, and we'd all be hungry, and he'd go, and Lord, we'd pray. and he'd go, thank you for the message this morning, and, and then you know, they'd pray for the missionaries and stuff like that. And me and my brother would look at each other, come on, Thomas, come on. I don't mind how it is, but you pray, pray. Find, find something that gets into uh, your rhythm. And then lastly, when we do gather as a church, why don't you come? Why don't you come? And you think, well, I don't know everyone there. Well, nor do I. 
and uh, come and, and, and pray. Put yourself in the context of prayer and let's uh, uh, continue to uh, aim to be a praying community. I think we've got lots of room for growth in this one. Uh, and so let's uh, continue to uh, reach for, for God in the prayer life of our church.